Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Good morning again. I'm thankful, much like Stanley, he went through an illness that almost took his life. And then a year ago, almost close to the day, I got sick too. And then I got sick for three months and was close to knocking on death's door too. But I'm thankful that God is faithful. I'm thankful that God reveals his plan even in the most dire circumstances. And we can rejoice in that. We can understand that even though things don't look the way they should maybe to us, it looks perfectly well and fine in God's hands. Amen? We continue to trust and understand what God has laid out for us. And I think it goes without saying that if you and I are not reading the Bible on a regular basis, there is a truth that comes from that. And the truth is we will never know its actual truth and we won't grow in truth. According to a Barna survey, 82%, 82% think that the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Have we heard this before? But 82% think that that is directly from the Bible. It is not. 63% cannot name the four Gospels. And over half do not know that the book of Jonah is in the Bible. To you and I, that seems silly. But for me, it's a wake-up call. It's an understanding that our job is not done yet. It is merely beginning. And there are many others who are relying upon us to help reveal that truth to them. And allowing God to use those opportunities for us to demonstrate that love that he has for them. Another poll also discovered that 12% of adults believe that the Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Sad but true. And according to a survey of high school seniors... Over 50% believe Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Now, this kind of reminds me of a story, and it's about a new minister who was asked to teach a boy's Sunday school class because the regular teacher was on vacation. And so he decided to see what they actually knew. And so he asked them, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And all the boys denied having doing it. (laughs) And the preacher was saddened that they didn't know the right answer. He decided to bring it up at the church business meeting and not one of them knows who knocked down the walls of Jericho, he he explained to them. And the members were silent until finally one seasoned member spoke up. He said, preacher... This appears to be bothering you a lot, but I've known all those boys since they were born, and they're good boys. And if they said they didn't know who did it, then I believe them. Let's just take some money out of the repair fund, fix the walls, and let it be that. Okay. Ed Stetzer wrote a blog post a while back what was called biblical literacy. And here's part of what he said there. He says, both inside and outside the church, there is a problem. Non-Christians don't even have the general idea of the Bible they once did. And Christians are not seeing the life change that real Bible engagement brings. The result is a nation in spiritual freefall. It could not be any more truer today as it was written some years ago. 
But here's the deal. There is no excuse. There is no excuse. It's not as if we don't have access to the truth. The average American, Christian or not, owns at least three Bibles. Three. And even those who don't have one in their home can download it free on an app on their phone or tablet or whatever it is you use. It is readily available to us. The Word of God is more available now than it ever was. And people have died to bring us this luxury and which has led to modern translations of Scripture. Yet, we are dying from a lack of knowledge. Simply put, we have a biblical literacy deficit in part because we have a spiritual maturity deficit. Plenty of research shows the correlation between spiritual maturity and, of course, reading the Bible. If you want spiritually mature Christians, get them to read the Bible. Reading and studying the Bible are still the activities that have the most impact on growth in the area of spiritual maturity. As basic as that sounds, there are still numerous churchgoers who aren't reading the Bible regularly. And this sounds like a Sunday school lesson that we received 20 plus, 30 plus, 40 plus, 50 plus years ago. But what has changed? Nothing. Nothing has changed. The truth does not change. We change and we need to change. To this point, Lifeway Research surveyed more than 2,900 Protestant churchgoers and found that while 90% desire to please and honor Jesus in all that they do, only 19% of those actually read the Bible every day. There is no way to please and honor Jesus if we're not drinking from the Bible on a daily basis. Our title this morning in your sermon notes, Imbibe the Bible, means to drink in the Bible. Partake in its truth. And in turn, share it with others. You're not the only one that's thirsty, right? We need to share it with others. Now our passage is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. You can turn there now. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I want to begin this morning by looking at verse 2. As newborn babies, we desire the pure milk of the word, that we may grow thereby. The word desire here is a command from a root word, which means to burn or to crave. And it is expressed in eager action. It's translated as greatly desiring in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. So, in other words, you and I must make a deliberate decision... To deeply desire the Word of God. If you don't deeply desire something, are you likely to be doing that activity? Not unless you're forced to, right? But if you're not interested in what you're doing, you're not going to give it the time of day. If we don't seek to know the truth, if we don't read the truth, we're going to lose track of what God has called us to do. We're not going to know what truth is. We start believing in the things like the survey says. And then where do we stand? I should point out that the phrase 
newborn babes doesn't necessarily mean that Peter's readers are brand new in their faith. Because they weren't. You see, in this context, milk does not refer to basic and elementary teaching as it does in Hebrews chapter 5, where milk is contrasted with meat or solid food. You see, here Peter is simply saying that all believers are to long for the word with the same kind of intensity that a baby does for milk. If we want to grow, we must get the word of God in us. And we must crave it. We must desire it. We must make it the forefront thing that we desire. And just like a newborn craves milk, we must long for the word of the Lord. A baby has a way of letting everyone know it's time to eat. Right? How many of you are going around going, I need to read the word of God? Give it to me! Ridiculous, right? No, it's not. This is how we should be. We need to crave it. And we know that when a baby is hungry, it won't stop crying until that craving is satisfied. As a Christian, this should also be our desire. If we're not being fed the truth, we should be upset. We should be longing for this. And like newborns, we're to go after God's word fervently and frequently. A spiritually healthy Christian is a hungry and thirsty Christian who eats and drinks from the Bible often. I love what Job says in Job 23. He says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. There's a passion. There's a desire. But this allows us to see two things about God's word. First, the word helps you to know. It helps you to know. We're to desire the pure milk of the word. The word pure means not deceitful, not watered down, or adulterated. There was a paper, I believe it was in Des Moines, Iowa, that ran a story, it was a, it was a little while back, about the tainted milk scandal in China several years ago. Here's a summary of what happened. It says, middlemen who've collected milk from farmers watered down the milk to save costs. And to mask that, they also added melamine, a toxic chemical that inflates protein levels. And the melamine-tainted milk made its way into infant formula. And eventually, six children died, and more than 30,000 became ill because of that contaminated formula. I tell you that to tell you this. There is a lot, a lot of watered-down preaching, a lot of watered-down teaching today by preachers like myself, by many individuals. Who do you trust? One thing I tell you all the time, people come, oh, you know that, that's great, what do you think of this? And then I tell them, and they take me for my word. That is exactly what you should not do. Don't rely upon my thinking, don't rely upon my teaching, crave it for yourself. Seek it out for yourself. Because there are people out there that want to make you feel good about yourself. Now, don't get me wrong. I want you to feel good about yourself. I want to feel good about myself. But not at the cost of watering down the gospel. Not at the cost of seeing people coming up to me and say, Well, that guy's a hypocrite. He says one thing and does another. That is not God's goal. That is not the goal we should be seeking. Because that's toxic teaching. And how should that make you feel? Know this. If sin is minimalized and the cross then becomes 
marginalized. God will not be magnified. And this kind of preaching is poison. Jeremiah 6.14 says, They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace. But there is no peace. You see, the pure spiritual milk of the word helps us to know ourselves by pointing out our sin. It corrects us and equips us. And in short, it helps us grow. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In January of 2015, there was a series called Countercultural Christianity. And they focused on what the Bible had to say about four controversial topics in our culture today. And that was abortion, homosexuality, racism, and suicide. Four hot-button topics. Know this. We know that the word helps us grow, that you may grow thereby. The word grow means to add or to increase. God says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly. And because spiritual growth is so important, we've made grow one of our key points, even in this church's vision and mission. We need to grow. We need to grow. It is impossible to grow our relationship with God without growing in your relationship to God's Word. It is impossible to grow your relationship to God unless you're growing in God's Word. Matthew 4.4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, there are at least three food metaphors used for the Bible. And I know as soon as I said food, everyone perked up. But there are. There are three food metaphors used in the Bible. Milk, meat, and honey. What does that do for us normally when we think of those things? It should increase our appetite. I don't know about you, I'm ready. It should increase your appetite. But before you check out this morning and think about that food we're about to receive, and before you feel guilty for not craving God's word, I think we need to spend the rest of our time answering the how question. I received an email with some very honest questions recently. How does one make oneself crave spirituality? And there are times I come away from sermons determined to do better, and I desire to read and pray, and then I I don't do it when I think I should. Is craving a gift from God? How do we learn to crave? Now, this passage gives us three ways to cultivate a craving for the word. As we started in verse 2, and now we're going back to verse 1, and then we'll go forward to verse 3. But number one, remember your salvation. Remember your salvation. 1 Peter 2.1 starts with the word, therefore. That just means we need to go back a few more verses to see what Peter said previously. And remember that there were no chapter divisions in the original manuscript. There are pastors that do a great job preaching about these kinds of things. And you should know that when we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, three times in these verses we read and realize the primacy of God's word. He says, we are born again through the living and abiding word of God. We talked about that last week. The word of the Lord stands 
forever. And the word was preached to us. So if you're feeling dry, travel back and remember your spiritual birthday. The word that led you to know Christ is the same word that will help you grow in Christ. The word that saves is the word that sustains. And if you're not saved yet, that may explain why you're struggling to understand Scripture as 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Secondly, it removes sin from our life. Check out the rest of verse 1. Laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Now would you notice that these growth stoppers are relational sins? Do you notice that? It's quite possible that the reason you're not craving God's word is because there's too much of the world in you. You don't crave it because you've got something else sustaining you. It's like filling up with so much junk food and you get a stomach ache and when you're no longer healthy or hungry, you're you're no longer healthy too because you're eating all that junk food, but you're no longer hungry for the things that are good for you because you filled up on all the bad things. Spiritual junk food can take your joy away. I don't know if you've heard about this guy, but there's a guy named Morgan Spurlock, and he ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day at McDonald's for, I think it was 30 days in a row. Some of you are saying, hey, sign me up. But he ate it for every meal for 30 days. And one article I read said this. It said, Even though he was taking in about 5,000 calories per day, he felt hungry soon after eating. And within two weeks, his doctors, alarmed by the unhealthy blood tests, shocker, advised him to quit the experiment. But he refused. He felt lousy, but amazingly, he felt much better after he ate more. His registered dietitian told him he was becoming addicted to junk food. Are we addicted to spiritual junk food? Are we allowing the world to fill the places that God wants to fill? And by the third week, he began to experience heart palpitations, chest pains, and breathlessness. Another big shocker. His doctor told him he was trashing his liver, that it was fatty like that of a long-term alcoholic. And all three of his doctors begged him to stop the diet and return to a low-fat diet. And before his 30 days were up, Spurlock was a sick man. He gained a total of 24 pounds in 30 days, had high cholesterol, high blood glucose, and high blood pressure. His liver values indicated he had serious liver damage. His fat level had soared. He was often moody and exhausted. Friends, it's quite simple. And it's quite possibly the reason you're not growing spiritually is because you're ingesting too much junk in your life. And I say that standing here going, (laughs) yeah, I'm guilty. And I'm not talking about the food. I'm talking about times when I should be on my knees praying to God. I'm talking about the times when things are great and I'm I'm not on my knees thanking God. Understanding that where I stand is not by my own merit but because God has ordained it to be. You are sitting where you are at because God has allowed it to be so. And so we give him thanks 
for the good. We give him thanks for the bad because it shows us where we can grow in spiritual character. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because God is giving us an opportunity. An opportunity to shine when it's almost impossible to do so. But God is good like that, isn't he? He gives us opportunities. And sometimes we fly through it with no problem at all. And other times we struggle. We struggle mightily. But God is just trying to reveal to us that we're ingesting too much of that spiritual junk food. Peter then lists five unhealthy vices that include both attitudes and actions that are often demonstrated by Christ's followers. We could call them community busters. And he uses the word all three times to indicate that we're to get rid of every or all manner of these sins. And the list is in contrast to the sincere and fervent love we are to have for the brethren. Verses, or chapter 1, verse 22. Malice. He talks about malice. And this is the general word that means evil spiritedness. With the purposeful desire to harm others with words and deeds. It's the idea of having it in for someone with resentment. The best definition I've heard is that malice is congealed anger wrapped in an unforgiving spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says that in malice be babes. In malice be babes. Be quick to forgive. Be quick and slow at the same time. Allow God to dictate how things go, not by our feelings and emotions. We allow God to dictate those things. The second is deceit. The picture here is of fishing with bait and refers to a deliberate attempt to mislead others. And as a fisherman, Peter knew all about deceiving fish. Just this week, there was a scandal uncovered by the University of North Carolina that apparently involved thousands of student-athletes and spanned almost two decades. And the, in, the investigation revealed that these students took bogus classes and received unearned A's and B's. That's the definition of deceit. Next comes hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And this comes from the word meaning to wear a mask. And it's the idea of pretending to be someone you're not. In other words, you just put on that mask when you need to. We had fun at our fall festival, didn't we? We had a great time. Met a lot of new people. We had an opportunity to fellowship, to um, show them who we are as a church. And get to know people, and we've gotten several contacts from that. But there was a particular um, family, and their kids came with Halloween masks. And that's okay. But we didn't know who they were. We didn't know who they were under that mask, right? And it just incidentally reminds me when I hear someone tell me that they don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites, I often apply, yes, you're absolutely right. Because as Christians, we wear, we wear masks all the time. We give the impression that we know what we're doing. We give the impression that we are in line with God's will. But in reality, there's a lot of us that don't have it together. That we're not living in God's will. So they don't come to church because it's full of hypocrites. And so the, the, there, there's a joke that goes along with that too. And it, they often reply, they don't go to church because there's hypocrites. And they say, well, why don't you come and join us and we'll have one more. <laughs> kind of stops them in their tracks. The next we have is envy. Envy. 
one of the seven deadly sins, and envy is not only wanting what someone else has, but hating that person for having what you want. You know, you might be struggling with envy if you're jealous about the success of others or happy at someone else's misfortune. According to Mark chapter 15, verse 10, the religious leaders were envious of Jesus' popularity, and that's why they conspired to kill him. How about evil speaking? This is also translated as slander and includes all kinds of unkind speech and literally means to run down someone. And it's always especially behind their back. The sin of backbiting is way too prevalent amongst believers. This includes gossip, spreading of rumors. It's quite a list, isn't it? But we're allowing that to infiltrate things that God wants to fill with other things. We need to have an appetite for God's word. We need to have an appetite for his truth. And like I said, it's quite a list. And it's quite possible that the reason maybe we've stalled out spiritually is because we have some sin in our life that we have not been willing to get rid of. Mark this. Your relational sins will affect your relationship with God. It will. The sins you're holding on to can sour your spirituality because a bitter spirit will get the better of you. It will get the better of you. Relational dissonance can keep you from drinking in the Bible. D.L. Moody once said, God's word will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from God's word. In another church that I happened to watch their service, they participated in a nationwide survey called Reveal. And when they received the results, they were stunned. And while they scored high in many areas, their leadership team became very concerned about how many members had stopped growing. And according to the survey, the main reasons why some people were stalled spiritually were gossip, judging others, gambling, alcohol, pornography, and inappropriate relationships. If we pulled our people here, how many of those would show up on our list? The way we think about and talk about other believers can and will short-circuit our spiritual growth. We can't really say that we love God if we're hating on our brothers and sisters, as it is so clearly stated in 1 John chapter 4. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. It's not and or or. It is both. The phrase lay aside actually comes first in the sentence for emphasis here. It's a picture of someone taking off and discarding uh, soiled clothing. One commentator said it means to cast it away with indignation. And the tense implies that it is to be once for all kind of decision with a sense of urgency behind it. We're all very familiar with the Arnold Schwarzenegger phrase, do it now. Do it now, right? That's what he's saying. We need to do it now, not next week or when I feel the spirit is perfect and and in line with what I'm doing. No, he's saying do it now. Purge yourself of these things. For the sake of not having to live with it anymore. 
not allowing you to, or to have it weigh you down. Because I think you're missing opportunities. As a church, we're missing opportunities if these are the things that we're worried about all the time. God's not going to reveal his plan to us if we're worried about spiritual junk food. We can't grow unless we are diving into God's word, drinking it up, letting it fill us up. But you have to understand that this really is an obedience issue. We're called to lay aside all. And those things that sour us spiritually. We can't be passive. Know that. We can't be passive in this. We can't be dismissive. We can't make excuses. James chapter 1 puts it this way. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Romans 13, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So the question this morning is, are we ready to discard that spiritual junk food? It's time to trash that toxic trespass we're committing against others. We're to get rid of these vices like we throw garbage away. In order to get the word in, we have to take off the gross and the smelly, like Gunnar said, in this stinky, smelly world. We have to get rid of those things. The things that make us moody and exhausted. But in addition to that, we also need to pray that God will keep us pure so that we don't go back to those vices. And two precise prayers that David used that would be worth memorizing, and I won't do like I did last time and pound it, but these are things that we need to be remembering. Psalm 19, 13. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. And then 119, 133. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. So do you want to crave God's word? Remember your salvation. And secondly, remove that sin that's in your life. Because we know that leads to a third way to increase your appetite for the Bible. We refocus on the goodness of God. We refocus ourselves. We refocus on the graciousness of God. And if you're still struggling to stay motivated in your Bible reading, check out verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, you have to understand the word if is more accurately translated as since. And more literally it reads, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now this is a quote from the first part of Psalm 34, verse 8. So Peter once again calls us to lock into the grace that has been given to us when we were saved. God is a holy God and made a way for us to receive forgiveness and eternal life through faith in his Son. So we need to get it into our heads that obeying God is better than sinning. The sweetness of sin at the beginning will lead to sourness in the end. God's grace is much better than the garbage that we accumulate in our lives. Some of us have a faulty view of God that we're almost afraid to read Scripture because we think God is just out to get us. But here's some good news. God wants to meet you with more than you could ever, ever imagine. He wants to come to you. He wants to meet with you. Most likely more than we probably want to meet with him. Right? If you're struggling to read scripture, refocus on God's graciousness. And when we taste his goodness, 
we eventually want to help ourselves. We eventually no longer want to drink God's word. We want to gulp it down. There's an intense desire to do so. So how do we increase our appetite? We change our eating habits. Breakfast is important. I know it is because I'm told all the time and I never eat it. Even though I should. But likewise, we need to start our day off by drinking and eating the Bible. Secondly, we need to eat small, frequent meals. Right? It's important to ingest the word throughout the day. Not just in the morning and not just in the evening. This is an all-day thing. Thirdly, eat healthy snacks. Listen to Moody Radio or KAMB during the day. You see, it is impossible to grow in your relationship with God without growing in your relationship to God's Word. We won't grow unless we get into that Word. So, here's how we put it to practice. We read the Word. We start here, even though it sounds so simple, but Jesus assumes that believers will know the Bible and be reading it regularly. Matthew twenty-one sixteen. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? Here are some practical practices to help you read the Word on a regular basis. Schedule a daily quiet time with God. Plan this in order for it to happen. If you don't plan it, it ain't going to happen. It might be in the morning or at night or the middle of the day. Get that free Bible app on your phone. It's got things that ring and do all the things to remind you to do so. We are a busy people. But as Christians, we cannot make ourselves too busy to listen to God. To be a part in God's fellowship. And I think most importantly, we start small. We start small. The more you read, the more you'll want to read. And it's often recommended that reading just one chapter from the Gospel of John every day. You see, when you taste the Lord's goodness, you'll eventually want to have the full meal deal. You'll want to, what they used to call, uh, supersize. You'll want to supersize your meal with God. Let's not be like those that Jesus referred to in Mark 12. Are you not in error because you do not know that scriptures are the power of God? In other words, we need to feed from the word. We must read the Bible. Secondly, we must feed from the Bible. This is where plugging into an adult Sunday school class is important. A life group, men's Bible study, women's Bible study. These are the things that will help us grow. We believe that growth happens best in groups. Here are three ways to help you feed. We memorize verses. We meditate on the Word of God. I know it goes without saying, but we bring our Bibles to church. We bring them with us and follow along during my winded sermons. Don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. A good way to study the Bible is to follow this process. Observation, interpretation, and then application. Or ask yourself these three questions. What do I see? What does it say? What can I seize? What can I gather from this? And once we do that, we will begin to need the Word. We read the Word and we feed from the Word but we won't do either unless we know that we need the Word. Ask God to give you a hunger for the Bible. Here's an idea. Slowly read a stanza of Psalm 119 every day so that you become saturated with this psalm. Yeah, I know it's long. Pastor and I were at a conference not too long ago, and he went through every verse of 119. We were there for, what, three hours? Yeah. Three hours. And that was just reading it straight through. 
but you slowly read a stanza of that every day so that you become saturated with the psalm. Ask God to give you a longing for his word, just like you have for food or for drink. Every time you feel physically hungry or thirsty, remind yourself that you need the food and drink found in the Bible. Now, I like that David said in Psalm 42, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And finally, we need to heed the word. We need to heed the word. When applying scripture, it's helpful to keep the acrostic S-P-E-C-S in mind when asking these five questions. Is there sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an example to follow? Is there a command to obey? And is there a stumbling block to avoid? Specs. Don't delay to obey. Don't put off whatever the Lord is prompting you to do. Psalm 119.60, I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. I've heard it said that delayed obedience is really disobedience. Listen to these words of Jesus in John chapter 8. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. Do you have room for his word? Are you reading? Are you feeding? Are you needing? And are you heeding? Two dangerous statements that we sometimes hear people make. They say, I know what the Bible says, but... I know what the Bible says, but... And there comes the excuse, right? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The other is, I know it's wrong, but God will forgive me, so I'll just do it anyway. We talked about this a little over a month ago. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? And so we crave God's word. We crave it. We adhere to it. And then we start needing it. And then we remove the spiritual junk food from our lives. And thirdly, we refocus on the graciousness of God. If we don't have a desire for God's word, it may be because you haven't yet tasted what the Lord has offered you. Like I said in verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The word taste is a metaphor meaning here to come to know by experience. Peter is quoting from Psalm 34. And this verse ends with, Blessed is the man who trusts in him. If you're not yet saved, it is time to trust in him not in an hour, not tomorrow, but right now. Right now. So have you taken refuge in God through a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what we need to ask for. And if you are, be thankful that God has given you that opportunity to be in his fellowship. And then take it that next step further and allow others to see that in you so that they too can see the love of Christ and they too can be saved. Folks, we have a lot to be thankful for. A lot to be thankful for. But I'm thankful most of all that we have a God that forgives. We have a God that loves us. 
We have a God that is so powerful and mighty that despite my own will, despite my own ineptability to do the things he has called me to do sometimes, he accomplishes his purpose anyway. I'm thankful for that. What are you thankful for? As you meet with your families this upcoming week, let us remember why we're there. Let us remember why we're even able to eat that turkey or whatever it is you eat. God's grace is abounding. And it always will. Let us be an example to that. Dave, come and lead us in the time of our benediction. And before that happens, just a reminder that we do have Thanksgiving dinner this afternoon. So following leaving here, head to the fellowship hall and we will have a meal prepared by our uh, fellowship team. Also, if you are on church council, I need to meet with you for five minutes. I'm being timed, so it's going to go really fast. I promise. Just need to go over one quick thing with you, and then we'll head over there as well. All right. Dave. Stand together, and I like what Pastor just said. If you know that you're in Christ, thank Him for that salvation. And if you aren't in Christ and you know and you have questions, I'd love to see you after the service and talk with you. But those who know they're saved, let's sing this with great assurance as we close. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, And Lord, we thank you for our time here this morning. As we leave here today, I pray that you will be with us and guide us through those opportunities that you will provide. Lord, let us be mindful of the things that we're thankful for, but most of all, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you gave your son to die for us. We're thankful that you resurrected him and that he will be coming again someday soon to bring us home. Thank you, Lord for everything that you do. And let all the things that we say and do, let it be an honor to you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.